Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Perhaps you or maybe someone you know has experienced the consequences of a corporate downsize. Maybe you were a part of a company or maybe somebody that you know was part of a company and maybe that downsizing resulted in jobs being lost, positions being changed, maybe hours were cut back, maybe salaries were reduced. Those are all things that can happen when you experience a corporate downsizing. And whenever we think about downsizing, so many times we think about it in a negative way. We say, oh, well, this company downsized and I lost my job. Or this company downsized and my hours changed or my responsibilities increased. And we find in the Bible, though, that God is all about downsizing. Now, I'm not saying that God operates by his business principles. The best of business thinking cannot uh, make a positive eternal impact on the kingdom of God. So God's kingdom is not run by business principles. If you start trying to look at God's kingdom as being run by business principles, you're going to run into some major issues. But God is all about downsizing. God is about reducing the things that we depend upon so there's no one left except for him. God is all about reducing those things that we give glory to so that there's no one or no thing that we give glory to other than worshiping him. And so we find throughout the Bible that God operates by downsizing. And the people who walk closest with God throughout the Bible are people who understand that and they see all of these things eliminated so that their focus is just upon God. And so over the next few weeks, I'd like us to do just that. I'd like us to walk through some of these examples we find in the Bible when God operates by downsizing, when God gives the, the reductionistic strategy or the blessing of divestment, where he brings us to a place where we may not have anything left except for him or the people in the Bible who understand who God is and then they walk in such a way that they don't let a lot of clutter come in. They don't let a lot of distractions come in. And I, I don't know about you, but I could use a, a setting of my mind on things that, that are eternal so as to eliminate the distractions because the world throws all of these distractions in, all of these, all of these different voices that are coming in. We need to know how to downsize, how to focus, how to operate with spiritual blinders on so that we are aware of what's going on. Absolutely. I'm not saying we, we turn a blind eye to these things, but I am saying we focus upon Jesus and we focus upon more Jesus than we have maybe in the past. And I want us to look today in John chapter 3, I want us to look at a short passage that pertains to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born a few months before Jesus was born, and John the Baptist was this rugged kind of prophet. He's out in the Judean wilderness, and when you think 
Judean wilderness, when you hear that word wilderness, don't think about the Pacific Northwest, that sort of wilderness. Don't think about maybe the Rocky Mountains and that sort of wilderness. Don't even think about maybe the eastern United States up toward the Appalachian Mountains and some of the wilderness areas up there. No, I'm not talking about a a vast area of trees and undergrowth. That's not what the Judean wilderness looks like. The Judean wilderness is a a sparse, hilly uh, kind of land. There's There's some plains, of course, and there may be some trees and stuff growing along the riverbanks, but as a whole, it's a very stark, stark landscape. And that's where John the Baptist was preaching. Out in this, these, these dusty, removed from town sort of places, these rural areas, and he's out there and he is preaching. And if you were to see John the Baptist, you would see him. He would be wearing uh, animal hair cloak and he's out there eating locusts and all sorts of other stuff. And he's just the kind of guy you want to go to for spiritual counsel, right? Whenever you're wanting to know, well, what's, what's up with the kingdom of God? This is what's going on with the kingdom of God. Here's John the Baptist, this sort of unlikely guy in an unlikely place. And he is declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. So get ready. And he was baptizing people. Now he wasn't baptizing people into Jesus name. He's baptizing people. And this was a ritualistic type of purification. He was telling them, repent, get ready. God's about to do something. You need to be clean before him. And right about this time is when we find the passage that we're looking at today. The events that happen in John chapter three, we're going to pick up in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. If you're going to baptize, you need water, right? And so since water was plentiful, that's where he's baptizing. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Different story, different day. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. So the first thing we see, and I want to kind of set this up, this happens multiple times in this text we're looking at today. John the Baptist has an opportunity to exert some form of authority or some form of popularity or some form of fame or some form of look at me. And yet every time John the Baptist is presented with this, he redirects it toward Jesus. Because John the Baptist understands that what these people need to understand is that he was there preparing the way for Jesus, and what they need is more Jesus. More Jesus, less us. That's what we need today. More Jesus, less us. More of Jesus, less of us. And so we find the first thing that happens here, or the first principle that we need to understand, is that your responsibility to God is a gift from God. That's what John understands. So his disciples and a Jew get into some some, uh, debate here. And they start saying, well, you know, this Jesus, he's baptizing. Now, that's what this passage says. If you look over in John chapter 4, verse 2, 
you find John clarifies and he says Jesus himself wasn't baptizing anybody. His disciples were baptizing people. And so we find that Jesus, the group of people around Jesus, his disciples, they're baptizing people in the name of Jesus. They're baptizing him. And so here we have Jesus and Jesus is baptizing. John is baptizing. And some of the people say, hey, John, Jesus is baptizing more people than you're baptizing. Notice what John says. The last verse of this particular passage, verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Your responsibility to God is a gift from God. That's what John understood. He understood the reason that I am able to have the ministry that I have is because it is, has been gifted to me from God. John says, it's not about me. It's something that has been given to me. Therefore, it is my responsibility. When God gives you a responsibility, it is a gift from him for you to take and take care of. That's the whole point that John is making here. John is saying, I'm not really worried about Jesus baptizing more people. It's Jesus. John has an understanding of who Jesus is. We'll look more at that in just a moment. But John has this understanding. In James chapter 1, verse 17, the gifts that come from God, James writes, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James writes, every good gift that we have and also every good giving, those are the two different words there, for gift or, or the, the act of giving. One is the gift that is given. One is the way that it's given. James is saying it, God gives only good things and the way he gives is perfect. And they all come down from God and there's no variation in him. There's no, there's no shadow. There's no difference in God. God's always the same. He's always good. He's always holy. Always, always, always. And so we can trust the gifts that he gives to us. And John understands that this responsibility that he has, this position that he has, it is a gift that has been given to him by God. How would your life be different if this week you regarded the position or the station you find yourself in as a gift from God? That God sovereignly has placed you there. Well, how would things be different if you saw it that way? That you are where you are because God has placed you there. Now, I know some of you may say, well, I'm in a really difficult situation and I've made some really awful decisions that have got me in this really awful situation. Okay, well, perhaps God is allowing you to see that and God has allowed you to get to that place maybe as a, as a gift to let you see the severity of the situation so some changes will take place. But I'm saying if you're in the will of God and you're following God's will and then God places you somewhere, and God orchestrates something, then you have to receive that. That's a gift from God. And God has placed you there. And so John understands that. John says, yeah, I'm baptizing, but, but I can't receive anything unless it's been given to him. And if Jesus is baptizing more people than me, do you know what that means? God has gifted him with that. And so John understands that his responsibility is a gift. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, by which was given me by the working of his power. Paul says the reason I'm a minister of the gospel is because it was gifted to me. God gave it to me. 
And that was, that was given to me by the working of his power. Paul's saying, it's not about me. It's not some sort of talent that I had. It's not some ability that I had. I didn't think it up myself. I had a, a guy, when I was serving our, my last church, I had a, a guy come in one day and sat down. He said, I think I'm going to be a pastor. And I said, well, tell me about when God called you. He said, oh, God didn't call me. He said, I just think, I just think that'd be fun. I said, bro, it does have fun moments. But I said, you need to, you need to back up. Unless God has called you to this, he's like, well, I mean, how hard can it be? I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. No, don't do that. You, you don't just wake up one day and think, oh, I think I'll just go into ministry. I think that'll be a good idea. How difficult can that be? You'll, you'll see. Uh, you, don't, you were called into that. But not just church-related ministries. That's what we think. That's the mistake we make. We say things like this. Well, yeah, but, but you're called. Can I just tell you, if you're in the center of God's will doing what God has called you to do, God's called you, right? You have to understand that. God calls us to each of us to a ministry for him. And you say, well, God hasn't called me because I'm not involved in full-time church ministry. No, God calls us to be involved in a day-to-day ministry that God has given to us. He has placed each one of us, as the Bible talks about, in a sphere. We're in a sphere of influence. And so we're in the, we run into these people, we contact, we're in contact with these people on a daily basis, and that is a gift from God, and that's our responsibility. However God has gifted us in that way, this is why in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've, get, you've get been given gifts. I've been given gifts. We use these gifts to build others up and to advance the kingdom of God. That's the reason that God has given us spiritual giftedness. That's it. And so it's our responsibility because it's a gift from God that we are to use. A few weeks ago, I was up in Wyoming. I spent a week up there with some ministry leaders. We were up there. Uh, somebody had said, so was it your vacation? I said, it wasn't a vacation. Was it a retreat? It wasn't a retreat. Well, what was it? I really don't, I really don't even know if I can put a word to it. Uh, most meaningful week of ministry that I've had in 16 years, I can say that. Um, I, I'm still trying to unpack just how God worked up there. But I remember one of the guys, we were sitting around this table one evening, and we were talking and just discussing uh, things that God has done. And I remember he just made a comment and he said, you know, the problem is most people, especially ministry leaders or people within the church, most people want to live like owners instead of stewards. They live like it belongs to them instead of it belongs to God. And we are to take care of what God has given us. And I just really had to think about that because how many times do we think that way? We think like, well, you know, it's, well, it's my church. No, actually it's, it's not. We are the church and we belong to God. It is God's church, right? Uh, and so we have to understand that. Or we say, well, this is my life. Well, actually you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Uh, so, so we don't even belong to ourselves, And so well, we, are, we are to steward our lives because God now owns our lives. It belongs to him. And so we find that over and over again, we want to treat 
things like we own them instead of treating them as though we are stewards and we are to take care of them. And so you find that John understands, I've been given a stewardship and it's just for a time and I'm going to do my responsibility. I'm going to uphold my end of the responsibility because God has given this to me as a gift. Do you see what else is happening here with John? When you understand that God is the one who has gifted you with a responsibility, that eliminates competition. You don't have to worry about somebody else. If you're in the center of God's will, you get in the center of God's will and you start worrying, well, this person, I'm afraid they're going to get ahead of me. Get ahead of you. If you're in the center of God's will, you do exactly what God has called you to do. You don't have to worry about somebody getting ahead of you. Well, what if, some, what if somebody does what, what, what I'm supposed to be doing? Why, why is that going to happen? Because God's called you to a specific thing. You do what God has called you to do. You be faithful or he has called you. you. You uphold the responsibility that God has gifted to you. You don't have to worry about someone else competing with you. Uh, when I first moved down here, um, I, I got introduced to some local pastors and stuff, and then I became lead pastor. And, and I, I contacted a, a guy in the community. Um, don't try to guess. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Uh, I contacted someone and I said, hey, man, I said, we would like to, we'd like to get together and do this and et cetera, et cetera. And he said, he said, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if we want to partner with y'all. He said, well, I'm afraid you'll steal some of our people. I said, I don't want your people. I got a list of people I will give you if you will take them and promise not to let them come back. No, it's not you. They're not here this morning. But uh, I checked. No, I'm kidding. But no, but I'm, I'm saying, man, we're all in this together. And he's, he's like, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. What if y'all do this? And what if y'all? And I just asked him, I said, do you not believe there are enough lost people to go around? I don't think we're going to run out of them. Okay, bro, stop. Really? And, and so we have to understand, not just in ministry settings, but in our life settings, look, we're not, if you're fulfilling the will of God, no one else is going to fulfill the call of God that God has placed on your life if you just follow his will. And if you are not in this for some sort of competition, just, just follow God's will. Accept it as a gift from him. Accept that responsibility as a gift from him because that's exactly what it is. John understood that. So whenever his disciples say, this Jesus, he's baptizing more people than you. John's like, it's a gift. The people I, the people I get to baptize, that's a gift. The people that he's baptizing, it's a gift. God's the one who gives this. The next thing we find is this. John continues, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. What else does John understand? He understands you will see your role clearly when you see Christ clearly. You'll see your role clearly when you see Christ clearly. John understands his role because he understands who Jesus is. Now notice this passage begins with this in verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, past tense, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Well, this is a callback to what happens a little earlier in the book of John. And we'll get to that in a second. But notice what John says. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, 
The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So John is saying, listen, I'm not the groom in this wedding. I'm the best man. I'm the guy who's here cheering things on. In fact, we find in the times of the Jewish wedding, the best man was the one who was to get all of the arrangements made. And then the groom would show up. So the best man took care of a lot of the orchestration of the events. And so he says, listen, I'm just preparing, I'm just preparing everyone for the marriage ceremony. I'm not the one getting married. But he says that whenever we find that you're at a wedding, he says, and and the best man hears the bridegroom's voice, he gets excited because he is happy for the bridegroom because that marriage is about to take place. Because John understands that Jesus outranks him. You find this over in John chapter 1, verse 15. John bore witness about him, about Jesus, and cried out, This was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, wait a minute. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. I thought John was born first. John was born about six months before Jesus was. John is not talking about birth order here. John is saying, this one who comes after me, the one that I'm preparing the way for, this one who, yeah, maybe six months younger than me, he was before me. He's the eternal one. He's the one who has always been. So he outranks me because he is the eternal one. John understands who Jesus is, and by understanding who Jesus is, John understands his role more clearly. Back earlier, he says, I've already said, I've already testified that I'm not the Christ. What's he talking about there? Well, all the way back in John chapter 1, you find that some, this little group of emissaries show up, and they show up and they're asking John some questions. They want to know, they've already heard, this guy's out here in the wilderness, he's baptizing, people are traveling out here in the middle of nowhere to see and see this guy and listen to him preach. We need to know what's going on. So they go out there and they said, okay, who are you? And John immediately responds and says, I'm not the Messiah. It's like, well, okay, we didn't necessarily ask if you were the Messiah, but okay. I'm not the Christ, he says. I'm not the Messiah. So they said, so are you Elijah? Because there was an Old Testament prophecy that said that, that God would send Elijah before establishing the earthly kingdom. And John said, nope, not Elijah either. And they said, well, so are you the prophet? And, and the prophet was one who was, who was predicted. And the, the Bible indicates that that prophet, we'll look more at this in some, a later series, but that prophet was the person of Jesus. And John says, no. So he says, I'm not, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. So they were like, well, who are you then? What's your role? What are you doing? And John responds in John chapter 1, verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Notice what John says when they're saying, who are you? John doesn't say, 
well, I'm this, I'm this wilderness preacher and I got a lot of people gathered around me. You want a grasshopper? No, he doesn't say that. Well, who are you? Well, I'm starting out here in the wilderness. I'm hoping to work my way up to Jerusalem to a, you know, a, a bigger congregation. No. Well, who are you? Well, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Well, okay. Well, then are you Elijah? Nope. Wrong again. Try again. Are you the prophet? Nope. Not the prophet either. So who are you? I'm just a voice. He doesn't even give himself an identity, just a voice. I'm just a sound. I'm just a voice. That's all. That's my role. Crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's what Isaiah had prophesied. Isaiah had said that we are to prepare. We are to get ready for the coming of our king. And John the Baptist says, that's just me. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice out in the wilderness calling out, telling people, to prepare. That's, that's all I am. Because John saw Jesus clearly. And when he saw Jesus clearly, he saw his role more clearly. As I've gotten older, one thing that I have seen more and more evidence for is this one truth. So many times whenever we get to a place and we start thinking we may be this or we may be that or, or we start looking at someone else's role. The best thing to do is to get a clear view of Jesus. Because you get a clear view of Jesus, everything else is going to get clearer. But if, you, if your view of Jesus is fuzzy and out of focus, then everyone and everything else is going to be fuzzy and out of focus too. You will not have an out of focus Jesus and the rest of your life be clear. It's just not going to happen. That's why sometimes when people come to me and they say, I'm really debating about what, I wanted, what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, uh, many years ago, whenever I was a middle school pastor, I had students come and they would say, I'm just really debating about what to do with my life, where to go from here. And one thing I would always tell them is, how, how are things between you and Jesus? And they're like, what does that have anything to do with it? It has everything to do with it. Are you following his will? Are you seeking his face? Are you, are you seeking holiness? Or are, you, are you surrendering to him on a daily basis? What does that have anything to do with it? Because you want to know what to do with the rest of your life. What's the next step for you? But yet you need to have the one who can give you that wisdom and that understanding and that empowerment to take that next step. You've got to be right with him. I think so many times we get it in reverse. Or so many times we go into panic mode. I see this so many times. We stay away from Jesus, we stay away from Jesus, we stay away from Jesus, we're distanced from Jesus, our, our walk with him grows cold, we get more and more distant from him, time passes and, and we just grow lax, and then major life decision comes up, and then suddenly we're there, and we're like, we're, we're before God, and we're in church, and we act like, I just got to make up for lost time, and maybe God will answer. Okay, listen, follow him on a daily basis, stay close to him. Stay close to Christ. A clear view of Jesus. Understand clearly who he is. And if you understand who he is clearly and get a clear view of him, then all the other things, your role will make a lot more sense. It will become clear. But you have to have a clear view of Christ. John understands this. John understands who Jesus is. And by understanding who Jesus is, now he understands what his role is. I'm just a voice. I'm not the bridegroom. 
I'm just the best man. That's all I am. But whenever you know who Jesus is and you get a clear view of who he is, you get a clear view of your role. It may be that some of us here in this room, maybe some of us don't have a clear view of what our role is because we don't have a clear view of who Jesus is. We're not really seeing him clearly as he is. And because of that, we don't have a clear view of our own role. If you've been wrestling with your with your role, what's the next step for you? What's the next step of ministry? What's the next step in life? Can I just tell you, focus mostly upon Jesus. Focus mostly upon following him, getting close to him, staying close to him, staying clean, staying close, and then allow him to give you that leadership. And don't live a life where anytime you have a major life decision, Anytime you have a major life decision, it is a good thing to go to God. Absolutely. But don't make that the only time you go to God to try to make up for lost ground. You see your role clearly when you see Christ clearly. And then finally, this last sentence that John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. John understands you must live with humility to exalt Jesus with honor. You want Jesus to get all the honor for your life, then then you have to live with humility. There's no two ways about that. We must live with humility. Listen to what John also says. This is back in John chapter 1, verse 27. John says, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Unloosening or loosening the sandals of someone was the job of the lowest slave in the household. The lowest servant in the hierarchy is the one who would remove those dirty sandals from people's dirty feet and then wash those feet. And John says, this one who comes after me, being Jesus, I'm not even worthy to loosen the strap of his sandal. I'm not even worthy of that. John is saying, in the grand scheme of things, I am not worthy to do the most lowly deed of a household servant for this one who is coming. That's how humble John was whenever he understood who Jesus was. And he exalts Jesus with honor because he's living with humility. This is, this is something that we are to put on. Listen to Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on humility. Live with humility. Be clothed in humility. Now, I know so many times we don't live with humility. We start thinking, well, you know, I'm better than this person, or I'm better than that person. And we keep some running tally in our head of all the people that we're ahead of and all the people that may be ahead of us that we may be, C.1, competing with. And the Bible is clear. We're to just live with humility. We're to live with great humility. There's an old proverb that says that all the rivers flow to the sea because the sea is lower than they are, and that is where it has its power. 
you find that humility, the humility that is found in Christ, when we live with that humility of Christ, in Christ, you find him showing incredible humility. We'll look at this later on in the series. Christ is showing perfect humility. And so whenever we live our lives with the right kind of humility, Jesus is exalted. We, we make much of Jesus by being humble. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That should be something every single one of us should cling to. If you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you can say there is this incredible power, this surpassing power that is operating in me, but it's just a clay pot. I'm just a clay pot. And that is the treasure that is within me. In ancient times, people would take clay vessels and they would hide valuables in them and bury them. And so Paul is saying, I'm just a, I'm a clay pot. I'm fragile, I'm frail, I'm replaceable. But the treasure that is in me, that's from God. And that's a power that comes from God alone. And so whenever we, we go out and we live our lives, we need to understand God's the one who's living through us. We're just clay pots. We're, we're just, that's all we are. We, Adam is crafted. He's formed from the dirt of the earth. And we are the offspring of Adam. And so anything eternal that we have within us, that is a reflection of the eternal God who is living within us by the, by the Holy Spirit. And so we have that treasure in us, within our earthen vessels, these fragile, frail, replaceable earthen pots. And John understands that. And John says, he, Jesus, he must increase. Oh, people are going to know about him. He's got a ministry far beyond me. He's got a mission far greater than mine. He has an honor that is due him that is far more than any honor that's due to him or due to me. And, and he must increase and I have to decrease. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. I'm just one out in the wilderness calling, prepare the way. And this one who is coming after me, he greatly outranks me because this one who comes after me, he was before me. He lives for eternity. And this eternal one is now here. John understands that need to downsize. So let me ask as we close, where is that in your life? Where in your life that God may be saying, it's time to downsize? It's time to downsize the ego. It's time to downsize the competition. It's, it's the, the competitive spirit. It's time to, to downsize the attitude. It's time to downsize self-glory for my glory. It's time to downsize these things for more Jesus. Less us, more Jesus. Where is it God may be dealing with you in that area? Maybe there's something that you've been hanging on to and you've been clinging to and you've been saying, yeah, but I like this so much. And God's been dealing with you about that particular thing. And maybe you've been telling God, God, you can take anything else. Just don't take that. Can I just tell you, anytime you pray a prayer like that, you, you can pretty much depend upon the fact God's coming after that thing. Release it. Let it go. There are so many things in my life that whenever I've let them go and let God take them, that as they left, I just saw claw marks all over them where I've been trying to hang on to them. 
And probably the same is true for many of you. Where is God calling you to let go, to downsize, to understand your responsibility as a gift from him, to understand your role because you see him clearly, and to exalt him with great honor because you are living with great humility. Wherever God is calling you to downsize, don't wait. Don't put it off. Surrender that to him today. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of John the Baptist. God, so many times we get caught up in our own lives. We get caught up in our own expectations, our own desires. Father, in the middle of all that, we, we, lose, we lose sight of Christ. Oh, he's there, and he's calling, and he's speaking, and we just lose sight. Father, I pray that if there's anything that's standing in the way of us seeing our responsibility to you as a gift, if there's anything in the way of us seeing our role clearly because we're not seeing Christ clearly, If there's any way that we are not giving Christ the honor that is due to him because we have some degree of pride that's in the way, Father, I pray that today would be the day that we would just say, Lord God, downsize this area of my life. I want Christ. I want want Christ to rule over it. I want him to reign over my life. I want to surrender this to you. And and trust you with it. Leave it with you. Father, I pray if it's an attitude, if it's an action, if it's a, a pattern of thought that any of us have had, Father, I pray that we would humbly surrender it at your feet, at your cross. And Father, I pray that if there's somebody here today that maybe they've been they've been wrestling with what their role is. Because they've never received Christ. And, and as, they, as they've been listening and as they've, they've heard your word, maybe they've come to a place that they say, I don't know Jesus. I just, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know him in that way. I've looked at him as an example. I've looked at him as a teacher, but I've never, I've never truly received him as Savior. Father, I pray today would be the day they would say yes to Christ. They would surrender their lives to Christ and live for him because he died for us. And he took the penalty that was due us, the the wrath that we were due. He took it upon himself on the cross. And he bore that wrath for our sin. And so, Father, I pray that today would be the day they would say yes to you. Father, I pray in this time as we respond and recognizing that it doesn't just end here. Lord, when we're, we go out and start our week, there'll be moments that come where we need to be reminded that we are to live a downsized life with you, surrender completely to Christ. And so, Father, I pray if, it's, if someone needs to make a decision this morning, you would give them the boldness to do that. 
it's a prayer concern, if they want to come to the altar and pray, if they want to talk with one of us about how they can know Christ, joining the church, being baptized, whatever the case may be, Father God, we pray that you would have your way in this time. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.